Can you put some of these rumors to bed for us? What is ChatGPT not? Well, it's not very smart. It's, um... <laughs> Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today I'm bringing you a conversation I recently had with Jacob Skirker. Jacob is someone who studied and used ChatGPT extensively, and I'm glad he's able to share his insights with us. I remember talking to a first year out teacher. I asked him to give me three words to summarize how he was feeling. His answer shocked me, actually. His three words were taking on water. There's so much to do as a teacher, and I actually think ChatGPT and other similar programs could be hugely beneficial to our profession. Now, Jacob and I have talked extensively off air about ChatGPT, about how it's going to change what it means to be a teacher, perhaps, and, and what it means to be a student, and how we can use it wisely and responsibly. And I'm convinced that's the key area, using it wisely. It's not going anywhere. We can't put this toothpaste back in the tube. Say what you like about ChatGPT. It's here to stay, isn't it? Now, the structure of this episode is a lot like one of the Apostle Paul's epistles. During the first part, we're thinking theologically. How can we understand this kind of thing in light of God's word? How do we build a theology of technology? Then in the back half, we look at practical application. It's very Pauline. Now, there's a lot we didn't get to. We didn't get to do a deep dive into the ethics of this. We didn't get to touch on student use. I think that's actually going to be a whole other podcast. For me, this episode was built to help teachers perform well in their profession, to show them the skills that they can employ to use this tool to make them as effective and efficient as possible. Know that before we hit record, Skirka and I prayed for you. We prayed for wisdom for you, whether you're a parent or a teacher or a community member. We prayed that you'd be able to use not just the latest and greatest technology, but all technology to glorify God and to grow His kingdom. Oh, and one other thing before we get to the discussion. This is the very first episode we have our new sponsor on board. That's teachingintassie.com.au. I'm really grateful for their support, and our missions are quite aligned. We're both here to promote Christian education. And when I'm not doing the Christian Education Podcast, I am one of the biggest advocates for Tasmania out there. If I could live anywhere in the world, this is where I would choose. So if you love Christian education, if you want to come down to Tassie, why not go and have a flick around their website and see what you think? Well, Jacob Skirka, welcome back to the Christian Education Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. Good to be back. It's been a long time since you've been on the podcast. and I've got to tell you, I don't think I've told you this in person or, in fact, in any other way. Uh, I've been saving it for the next time on the pod. Your lawyer to teacher episode was profound in the eyes of many, many people. That's probably the episode I've received the most positive feedback about. That's got to feel good. Yeah, wow. That No, that feels really great. Um, no, you did write me a letter uh, by post about that, actually, but it's, it's good to hear it out loud. You've been getting it's, the smoke signals? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Now, we're here today to talk about some pretty controversial technology. And I say controversial because it's got people on every end of almost every spectrum really up in arms, either mm. excited or running around lighting their hair on fire. We're, of course, talking about ChatGPT. Yes, the, uh, the new um, robot that's going to kill everybody. Uh, yeah. pick, your, pick your pop culture reference. I can't think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> a lot of people at the beginning of their discussions or articles or podcasts around this quoting the old Terminator line. 
um, which I will not seek to replicate because I will only <laughs> mince it within an inch of its life. It's, and nowadays, you definitely don't want to play around with that sort of a that sort of a joke. You do not. <laughs> you do not. No, there's something about Skynet. Um, anyway, look, there exists, as far as I can tell, a real spectrum when it comes to not just AI but technology in general. Mm. You've got some guys over on one side and. Um, they're like a little uneasy about having a set of jeans with a zipper on it. You know, that's, you know. Still the hook and eye. Yeah. Still still in that that era. The zip might be the mark of the beast. They're just not quite sure. They have to watch how the tech plays out. And the other guys on the other side have said, as one author has said, they are just yearning to get the USB slot at the back base of their skull. So yeah, they get the chip the... in the head, get the credit card in the hand, get <laughs> get this barcode in the back of the back of the neck. It's a broad spectrum, isn't it? Now tell mm. me this, mate, where do you fall on that particular spectrum? Yeah, I, well, I'll say that when it comes to technology generally, um, anybody who knows me for more than 5 to 10 minutes uh, know that I knows that I tend to be a um, a bit of a luddite. Um, I personally hate technology. Uh, I, I haven't been on social media in like five or six years now, but when it comes to anything that helps me with my work, I will, you know, begrudgingly, begrudgingly accept the help of just about, just about anything. So when it comes to something like email, when it comes to texting or, um, you know, the internet broadly, I'm happy to use it insofar as it helps me to get my job done efficiently and helps me to get it done well. So when it comes to ChatGPT, um, when it first came out and I heard about it, I was very, very skeptical. Um, but I have to say that I am on this particular um, piece of AI. I'm coming around, not quite to the put it in a chip in my head, but um, definitely, I could definitely see it as being one of the one of the potentially one of the biggest professional boons probably since the advent of uh case management software uh though that's I, I can't remember what we call it in um teaching but when i was a lawyer we called it like a case management software there's the like secta or canva yeah your um, learning management mm, systems that yes. sort of thing and that's really interesting so i guess if we what we want to do at the start of this discussion is actually zoom out and have a bit of a stab at a theology of technology. Mm. Because whether you're talking about the zipper in your jeans or you're talking about the latest cutting-edge AI, you really need to have a robust theology of tech. Otherwise, your decisions about these sorts of things are going to be based on extraneous um, things such as how new is it to me? Is anyone else talking about this? All, all these sorts of things which won't necessarily be carrying the most weight when we mm. assess the situation soberly. So. I myself can often be like a drunk man on a bike. I can zoom over one side. I'm off on the Luddite side of things. I don't like the tech. It's old school. It's caving in the very mind of Western civilization itself. And then I'm over the other side. I'm saying this is ridiculously good. And if you're not using this, then you have no right to complain about being time poor or anything like this. Yeah, it's it's such a – I think as as Christians especially, it's so important to have a good – a good theology on how we approach something like this. Because I, I think with something like AI, there can be such a readiness to, um, you know, slap a triple six sign on it and chuck it in and file it away in the doomsday cabinet. Um, but it's the, I, my um, framework 
for really anything that is technology is that it is effectively a tool. And um, uh, anything that is a tool is, is essentially a form of, of wealth, which is a, like a theology that we've talked about a lot, is um, nothing that is inanimate is inherently sinful or righteous. It's how we actually use it and, and the, um, the purposes that we use it for that makes it one or the other. Um, so I think this is something that you, is there's there's really no difference with something like AI is that it can be used it can be used righteously and it can be used uh, sinfully as well. So what you're saying is this AI, ChatGPT, it's a tool. It's a tool in the same way that my saw is a tool, mm. and I can use that to saw down some lumber and build myself a house, or I could use it to saw my neighbor's pinky toes off. And it, the saw itself, it, it has absolutely no moral value. It's what I do with mm. it that then becomes the moral component. Yeah, exactly. Because um, I mean, if we're taking the take the saw, take the um, take the the wiring and the computer and the server that the original GPT um, language model is saved on, it's all made out of materials that were made by by God, and it's being put to use by us as um, people acting in his, his image. And so are we using that for fallen purposes? Are we using that for righteous purposes? And I think um, in this case, um, like if we're talking about, say, like what is a, a righteous use of, of an AI language model? Um, and I say, I, I wonder if this is actually a good, t- a good point to actually kind of talk about what ChatGPT actually is. Because I've said language model, and I think not a lot of people might know what I mean by, by language model. Not a lot of people, perhaps including one podcast host <laughs> in your midst. So why don't you edify a skirker? So, so a um, yeah. So so language models, or and this is I'm by no means an expert here, um, but my understanding of how ChatGPT works is that it is uh, effectively very very advanced predictive text. Um, so a language model is um, I won't say any more than I actually know, but it is a program that is designed to understand how English works, to be able to take information out of it and understand the structure of English. But then when it's generating um, a response to a given input, what it is doing is it's just predicting text. So like we have, we have a phone right here on the table. If we were to open it up, open up the texting app, you'll see at the top of the keyboard like three words. Mm. And so um, what those three words are is they are, in a sense, a form of language model. It's an AI in itself. So that everybody has this AI in their phone. And um, you type, hi, it'll say, how are you? Like, how? Yeah. And then you click that, it goes, R, click that, you. Because those words... <laughs> Welcome to the <laughs> right? fast lane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Cause, because... Uh, and the way that works, the way it knows that it's probably you're probably going to say that, even though some, often you won't, is that um, it's looking at probability. So, what is the likelihood of one word to follow the other? Um, the difference between your phone and ChatGPT is that your phone maybe looks one to two words backwards. So it might go um, as far back as one word prior and goes, "All right, what's the most likely word to follow this one word?" Or it might say, "What's the most likely word to follow the last two words?" ChatGPT, um, my understanding is its capacity is to be able to 
predict the probability based on the last paragraph or the last um, several paragraphs. It, it, it can go back much further while it's predicting what it's saying. So what you're saying, if I'm understanding you rightly, is that this is not a brand new species of technology. It's really easy for someone like me, who my head isn't necessarily in this stuff, mm. to go, wow, I have never seen anything like this. This is brand new. Yeah. What you're saying is it's actually just the dimmer switch has been dialed up. We have had things like this for some time. Yeah. Uh, admittedly, it hasn't blown our hair back as much, but it is the dimmer switch has been turned right up and now we're seeing this thing um, really with some good meat on the bones. Yeah, so it's effectively it's the same thing that's been happening with technology for the last several decades is that we just happen to be able to put more processing power into what we already have. And what that means is we can come up with something much more impressive because we have the horsepower to do it. Knowing that it's not a brand new thing also then helps us in our original pursuit here to think of a theology, to understand it um, in light of God's revelation. I liked what you said earlier about technology as a form of wealth. Mm. So one author, Douglas Wilson, who's yes. impacted our thinking on this, especially with his book, Plotactivity, which mm. I'll link in the show notes. Fantastic book. He effectively says that all technology is just like an array of tools laid out before you on a bench. Yeah. So it's it's the more powerful your tech, the greater array of tools. Therefore, it's a form of wealth. Mm. And we need to be then wary because we, we can often think, and mate, I've heard this on podcasts myself. Um, really smart people, really smart, discerning Christians have even said, well, this is brand new, so we're starting from scratch. Yeah, no. Well, as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. And and it makes me think of, uh, there's a passage in Luke, I, I can't remember the chapter or verse, but it's, um, to whom, uh, like, to whom much is given, much will be expected. Um, and this is so much when you look at the when you look through the lens of history and you see the tools and the empires that were built with those tools what they had then and then you bring it forward to what we have now where we have an economy of knowledge effectively um the tools that we have in front of us are so wide they there's so much it's so complex the um I yeah I I just have my brain stalls thinking about the the weight of uh, expectation spiritually that would be on us because of everything we have nowadays at our disposal and we don't want to get bogged down in self-flagellation but you think of someone like John Calvin he's parked mm. himself on the John so he's on the yeah. toilet he's got his dysentery um, he's got his his ink his quill his parchment. And yep. he's there just pumping out the institutes. Yep. Right? This document mm. that's going to shape systematic theology for the coming centuries. Yeah. Or you think of any other writer, even in antiquity, and you go, mm. if they are able to produce these works that have stood the test of time so well and still inform so much of our modern thinking, yeah. still shape the entire paradigm which, within which we're all thinking. With quill and paper. With quill and paper and a toilet for a seat. Yep. <laughs> with permanent dysentery, the poor bloke. Imagine what he could have got done if he had, didn't have a crook gut. But anyway, um, if they're able to do so much with that, we really have to get our skates on. Yes. And I feel that very, very acutely with ChatGPT. However, we're going to get to that uh, in just a moment. 
Christian Education Podcast is brought to you by Teaching in Tassie. At Christian Education National Schools in Tassie, you can make a difference. You have the freedom to express your faith and values, of course, with Jesus right at the centre. Tasmania's beautiful environment has space to breathe. We have amazing food and wine, wilderness to explore. There's an adventure right on your doorstep. There are endless opportunities. I've got to tell you, it's almost perfect. To sign up or learn more, visit teachingintassie.com.au and you'll be the first to know when there's a career available. Who knows? It may just have your name on it. Let's get back to the discussion. So you've sort of already elaborated on what it is. Mm. You've said that it's an advanced form of predictive text. Yeah. The, the, it, it, it's just got bigger biceps and more defined abs. It's a beefier version <laughs> of something that we already know about. Yep. What is it not? Because there's a lot of people who don't mm. necessarily have their head wrapped around this and they're really just flying off the handle yeah. with, with sort of vague speculation. So can you put some of these rumours to bed for us? What is ChatGPT not? Well, it's not very smart. It's, um, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this, like, I think a couple of examples of, like, of its limitations are good. Um, it can quote things sometimes. Uh, it can write poems, but it can't write poetry. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, a lot of people think that this thing is, is in, it, people think it's intelligent because we say it's artificial intelligence. But the, I like to think of it as um, there's this legal maxim that um, a stream or a river can't flow above its source. Mm-hmm. And if you think of humans as being in the image of God, we are in the image of God, but we are not God, right? Because God has created something that is um, below himself. Correct. We can't rise above God. We can't rise above him in creativity, which means the thing that we have made is an image of intelligence, but it's not intelligence. And so this isn't something that um, you can ask to... You can ask it to do a lot of things because it's such a powerful predictive text model, but... If you ask it to write an essay, it'll write you a decent five-paragraph high school essay, um, but some of the quotes will be wrong. Um, it probably won't use correct references if the references actually exist. Um, and every essay it writes will follow um, surprisingly similar wording, and it'll be flat. What you've said there kind of marries into my own experience quite well because I remember when I first got my hands on it, I signed up. And I was blown away. I couldn't mm. believe what I was seeing. I plugged in a few things, the cheap sort of party trick things. Yeah. Write an essay about my wife using King James Bible English. Yeah. And it would do yeah. that sort of stuff. You know, wow, this is unbelievable. Mm. You, do, you just do think you're in the fast lane. You know, yeah. I'm, what am I engaging with here? This is crazy. Although it doesn't take a while, it doesn't take too long before the shine starts to wear off a little bit. Mm. And you say, oh, that actually looks pretty similar to that other thing that it did. Yeah. Uh, and... When I type in a few, I don't know much about many things, right? But the one thing I do know a fair bit about is theology, more specifically Reformed theology. Mm. And I was getting ChatGPT to help me out with some writing I was doing. And so I asked it to get some quotations for me. It did a really good job of that. Then I asked it to provide a sort of summary of a particular doctrine, which I happen to know a bit about. Yeah, And it just... It just created a brand new position out of whole cloth, <laughs> a position I've never seen before. Yeah. I don't see it in the Church Fathers. I don't see it in the, in the Reformation scholars. I don't see it yeah, in right. modern scholarship. And I think what it had done is there's a whole lot of people over one side saying, 
A, another people over the other side saying C, and yep. it sort of created this false synthesis where yeah. it sort of treated the various views as two numbers and just gotten the average. Well, and that's that's actually a perfect way to think about it is that it's um it's not a, a fact machine, it's a language machine. So it produces very it produces very understandable English, but it doesn't have the capacity to know whether or not what it's written is true or false, whether it's right or wrong. It is just producing a response to a prompt. Um, and that prompt is based on prob or the response is rather is based on probabilities. So I happen to think, as much as we've been talking about the limitations, and mm. it is, of course, limited, this represents could, one could of the- Could talk potentially all, like, all day on the, on the limitations. This could be a separate five-part podcast series on the limitations of chat GPT. However, one thing I really want to get into is the enormous help this can be mm. for teachers. There are teachers dropping like flies. Yeah. In, in, every, in every sector, whether you're independent, Catholic, public schools, there are teachers um, and the churn rate is huge. Yeah. They're really struggling. And I think this represents maybe for the first time in modern education, something being taken off the plate yeah. of the teacher. Well, I've, I've been telling people that this is the next, this is the um, biggest thing since the iPhone is what I've been telling people. And I might be, um, a, I don't think I'm exaggerating. Um, and the context to that is um, before the iPhone came out, you know, the, the internet was the way it was, computers were the way they were, and phones were phones. Um, once you hit the point in history where the iPhone gets launched, everything changed. Uh, the iPhone changed significantly the way that we experience the internet, the way that we experience social networking. Um, it was absolutely huge. And then since the iPhone, we haven't really gotten any real innovation in, or at least not anything, maybe not innovation, but dis anything disruptive, as disruptive as the iPhone was to the economy, to the, the culture. I think this is potentially the next big disruption. And that's a welcome disruption for so many teachers. Mm. I mean, if you zoom out and look maybe over the last 50 years of education, I've heard it said by many a teacher that what we see is if you imagine a teacher walking around like a waiter with a plate, you know, and they're out there serving their community. Yeah. What happens is things just get put on the plate. You've always had to do your planning and reporting. That yeah. much is clear. But now all of a sudden you find yourself where you're actually having to manage this online learning management software and things like OH&S and mm. compliance and workplace safety and first aid. You've, yeah. got, you've got to do online modules on those sorts of things all the time, seems like every week. And then you've got to cater for an educational cohort, your class, mm whose differentiation needs are higher than ever. And that's then to say nothing else of um, your skyrocketing mental health concerns in your class. So what we're yeah. doing is we're walking around and there's things being put on the plate yeah. over and over and over and over. And we have to stop and ask, is anyone taking anything off the plate? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? When you said differentiation, I cringed a little bit just because that's, that's almost a bad word and – like in you know in the office um because it's something we all have to do but it it's very time consuming uh, along with with planning and you're thinking about especially when every year you've got a new set of students and sometimes the resources you have from the previous year just don't cover what you need for this particular year and i think that is where something like chat gpt 
becomes incredibly useful because things that ChatGPT is very good at are things like, um, so we've said that it can be quite flat and formulaic. Well, flat and formulaic is good when you need a framework for something. When you know there is an aggregate of something out there or the aggregate of what is out there would be very useful. ChatGPT was trained on the aggregate. Like it is effectively the aggregate. It's a, um, I need to stop saying the word aggregate, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's effectively a, it's a better Google in a sense. So if you are sitting around and you have to put a, write up a lesson plan for a subject that you haven't taught before and you are a competent teacher, you can put a lesson plan together, but you don't know where to start with this particular thing. ChatGPT can actually generate a very basic lesson plan. I'm not saying that this is a lesson plan you go with, and I, I keep telling people it is not a silver bullet by any means. You need to always vet and edit what ChatGPT gives you. Um, but that simple act of being able to press an enter button and in five seconds you have a framework to work from removes a whole lot of the heavy lifting, of the mental heavy lifting that you would otherwise have had to do in your planning. Similarly, I had a... I had a, a big chunk of text that I needed my students to read. And it was written, it was written in the 50s. Uh, so, you know, it's not Elizabethan English, but the English was more complex than some of my students could handle. If I wanted to read through this and reword it myself, that might be a half an hour to an hour just down the drain, thinking about, oh, well, is this the right word to use here? How do I capture the meaning? Um, Will they know this word that I want to replace this with? Is this even a word worth replacing? Or I can copy, paste, say, ChatGPT, summarize this at a year eight level, enter. And it captures exactly what the paragraph is saying in simpler language. And so a task that is meant to be about analysis, not comprehension, is able to be about analysis. And it took me five seconds. And that's where you see the sheer grunt, mm. just the horsepower of this thing. And that's where it's just right in its lane, right in its wheelhouse. And I was yeah. so impressed because I've had to do that a couple of times. I've had to differentiate down a text. And the thing about it is, yes, it took half an hour. Yeah. But what did it take half an hour of? It took half an hour of creative energy yeah. of mine. Now, I've got very, very uh, precious little time of creative energy in the day. Yeah. So really, when I get into work, I get in about seven and I've got an hour of high-quality, creative, generative energy. And do I mm. want to spend that on the differentiation of a text that is going to take us nine minutes to read and answer questions on in class? Yeah, when you look at it in the scope of the 80-20 rule, the, the investment of time that it takes to do something like that on your own is um, demoralizing sometimes. And that's why, of course, we all do it because you want mm. to make learning accessible to everyone well, in your classroom. Well, you have to if you want your, your students to succeed. But you then pay a big price for that. Oh, yeah. And so the widening educational gap that we see, the, the mm. distance between the smartest person in your class and the uh, most academically challenged person in your class, it's growing mm. ever wider. And so what does that represent? Another three or four little trinkets on the plate that we're carrying around. Yeah. And what you're saying really crucially here is for differentiation, this actually represents a number of things off the plate. Oh, so yes. you can do some gold standard differentiation. Yeah. You could have the same text at three different reading levels mm -hmm. and you could get that done not in an hour, not even in 20 minutes. You could get that done in about 
35 seconds. Yeah. And, and, and also, this isn't a matter of Googling a text or using a well-used text and then going on Teachers Pay Teachers and hoping that you find something. This is, you can take any chunk of text that you have access to and you can do this. So the flexibility is insane. It's a, it's a level of, again, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a resource that has just not existed to this date unless you're a school that was insanely well-funded. Um, and on that note, another, another thing that we all do that is time-consuming, that eats up valuable time that is not able to then be spent on creative energy, vocabulary lists. Sure. <clears throat> I made a vocabulary list the other day. All I had to do was read through the text that I'm reading, pick out the words that my students wouldn't understand. I say, chat GPT, give me, take these words and generate a vocabulary list, put it in alphabetical order, generate it as a table. On one, one column is the word, the other column is the definition, and it pops it out like it's nothing. That's amazing. And this sort of is a good place for me to tell you the way that I frame ChatGPT in my mind. Mm. We talked about technology as a form of wealth. I see it as having been given a $90,000 pay rise, say. <laughs> now, Christian Schools Tasmania pays us really well. It doesn't pay us that well, all right? No, so it's not well. a $90,000 pay rise. But it's like getting that money and then employing another, say, first-year-out teacher yeah. to write lessons for me. So I'm walking out to teach my first lesson of the day, and I say, okay, Buster Bill, um, can I get you to please write a summary on the nine key turning points of World War II? And he goes, Sure. And I might say, can I have that in iambic pentameter? Yeah. Uh, or <laughs> and he might look at me a little funny, but he could still do it. Mm. Um, and that's going to take his whole day, and, of course, we have to pay him for that. Yeah. Now, if I really want to throw some big money around, I pay the $30 a month subscription. Yeah. So it costs a dollar a day, <laughs> and I get exactly the same thing. Exactly And it doesn't thing. even look at me a little squarely if I ask for it in King James Version of English. In fact, if you ask it nicely, it will also respond nicely is what I've discovered. If you say, could you please, it'll say, sure, let me help you with that. So it, it'll actually give you a better attitude. I'm a huge a fan of using manners with it, just so <laughs> when it actually does become self-aware that <laughs> it, it doesn't it knows that first. It knows that we're the nice ones. Yeah, yes, man, that, is, I, that is my exact thought. <laughs> I looked after you, man. <laughs> please don't eat me. I was there when you were just a little guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a helpful framework. Mm. Am I going to run the lesson plans that a first-year-out teacher <clears throat> makes me? No, absolutely no, not. Absolutely I'm, not. I'm going I'm to look at them. I'm going to probably take a fair bit of the guts of it, oh, yeah. but then I'm going to use my experience to polish it up a little bit. But am I going to use a vocabulary list that they might have created? Probably, yeah. Mm. I could probably just cut and paste that. Would I trust them to differentiate down a text? Sure, sure I yeah. would. And so there's an element where you go, wow, we've all been given a huge pay rise. Yep. We've got an assistant, albeit now a virtual one, mm. and that can do amazing work for amazing us. Amazing stuff. And and yeah, and like you said, if you, if you asked for a summary of something or say a sample response to a question. Um, like I had a set of analysis questions for students to respond to mm -hmm. and I wanted to have a sample. I haven't done this particular unit of work yet um, with a class, so I don't have a sample response from a previous year. I asked ChatGPT to generate one. <clears throat> now this is where the limitations come in again is that um, for some things it was wildly inaccurate and some of the quotes were completely made up. Because again, if, if um, let's think of this as a predictive text. If you've written a sentence that says, this is a story about um, how hard life is in the Australian bush. 
For example, start quote, it's not finding the quote in the original text. What it's doing is it is generating the perfect quote for what it has just said. Yeah. So I had to go, so I get the response. And for the most part, in terms of putting together a very basic response that I would want to see that as a C standard, great, we've got it. All I need to do is go and change the bits that are wildly inaccurate and wrong, which I would have to do with an, with a first year out teacher anyways. And that's, that's one of the strengths, isn't it? Mm. The literature is very clear. And you look at John Hattie, you look at visible learning, you've got the idea of a waggle. Now, what's a waggle? It stands for what a good one looks like. Yeah. So you're assigning students a task. And the question is, uh, well, Mr. Matthews, Mr. Skirka, what, what does a good one of these look like? What am I aiming for? Mm. And here... You can even get a sort of learning wall happen. You can go, well, this is a C, this is a B, this is an A. Now, you might be able to de-identify student work from previous years, but look, with the version nine of the Australian curriculum coming out, a lot of us are running stuff for the very yeah. first time. <laughs> and I could sit there and write a C, B and A, but that might take me an hour, mm. you know, if it's a couple of paragraphs. So I can instead use my assistant, use my young protege and get him to whip it up in about yeah. 35 seconds. And that for me is a huge value proposition because if I'm honest and I was faced with the opportunity to create the CBA waggles mm. um, or the CBA sample responses, but I'm also having to do everything else on the plate, I'm probably going, look, it would be nice. It would be a luxury. If not I had actually the time. Gonna, I'm yeah. just not going to do it. Yeah. I'm just not going to get to it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it goes straight to the bottom of the list because you have to plan, you have to mark, you have to report, you have to call parents, you have to do all these. You have to do that, the the high value stuff that you also are struggling to find time for. Some of the things that I've really found it useful for is, as I mentioned previously, we've moved from version eight point four to version nine of the Australian curriculum, mm. and so that just means we're running a lot of fairly new material. Now that's okay. But what it means is some of our old resources won't, won't work. They'll yeah. be sort of tangentially related, but you won't be able to get that high-value multiple content descriptors in one lesson yeah. sort of material. So, for example, I teach Year 10 History, World War II. It's now got nine key turning points that you have to examine. Mm. And that's great. I was a big fan of that because in the old curriculum, you could almost make your through, way through World War II without knowing the ebb and flow of the battle. Um, what I was able to do as I was just figuring out this software existed, mm. I said, can you please write me a paragraph summary of the nine key points? Enter. Just yeah. spat it out. I thought, wow. I thought, yeah, I have got some students though who don't like reading large bodies of text. Mm. And I've typed in, can you please give me a three-dot point summary of each paragraph? Spat it out. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. Well, look, just to consolidate that knowledge, can you please give me two comprehension questions per paragraph. Yeah. Spat it out. Oh, yeah, it does worksheets. It can do... Yeah. It, yeah, it can do uh, comprehension questions. It's And again, it's all stuff that you wouldn't just copy, paste it, print it, send it, give it to the students. You you cast your eye over it. You think about it with a an actual, you know, professional mind. But the editing is so much easier and more high value than draft writing. Um, I don't know who said it, but I know they were a very, very uh, good writer, one of the greats, one of the goats, if you will. So you can trust the quote, even though I don't know exactly who completely it is. Completely unattributed, yes, but that's all right. Completely unattributed, um, tilled anonymous. Um, 
but all writing, all good writing is editing. Sure. Is that the, the best stuff comes out of editing. Was it Hemingway who said, write drunk and edit sober? I think that might have been Twain, but I, I don't know. I that has obviously no business here on the Christian no, Education no, Podcast. No, 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 no. We wouldn't ever do anything like that. So <laughs> what we're looking at here is the ability to create really good foundational material. Again, your mm. high-quality, creative uh, learning experiences, I've found so far this not to be as effective for. Mm. However, when it comes to just laying the foundation, yeah. Really, really good stuff. I was even able at the end of that sort of sequence to say, can you give me a 20-question multiple-choice quiz? And yeah. I had a really simple assessment that I could run at the end of the week yeah. and more of a formative assessment, so that's not going to be the big kahuna for the unit. But, but even I then, can test the level of understanding of the group really yeah. easily and simply. And with formative assessments, the idea is that it should be quick, it should be easy, and so if it can also be prepared quickly and easily – then you're, all you're having is now you have a proportionate amount of effort to effort uh, in terms of the effort that your students are putting in and the effort that you're putting in to produce it. And it's a bit more equalized. So we've got differentiation. Mm. That's absolutely huge. We've got basic content like writing vocabulary lists, writing uh, lesson plans. It'll do, again, pretty generic, but it'll get you there. Mm. Um, writing worksheets based around new content, or very specific and tailored worksheets, which mm. is great given yeah. the new curriculum. It's also, I've found that it is, it's not great quoting some things. It is actually spectacular at quoting the Bible. Um, and it is familiar with the big picture template for anybody who knows what that is. If you're in a CEN school <laughs> and you've had to spend a couple of hours writing a big picture template out uh, for your unit plans, you are either leaping for joy or weeping and gnashing your teeth in the outer darkness that you've already spent all your time doing that. But yeah, I've tried it out. It knows the big picture template yep. and it's actually not too bad. You it might have to have a follow-up question or two. Oh, yeah. Or even, you know, you might have to edit um, edit yourself. But again, that's, that's what you're, that is what you're paid for. Um, <laughs> but it writes a really good biblical rationale um, as well. It's, um, I think because the Bible is the greatest book in history... It's the most popular book in history. Um, it makes sense that a language model would be familiar with the most significant piece of written language in history. Um, so it's, it is very good with the Bible. It is very good at writing those, um, those rationales. And again, I, and I always come back to this, always edit it. Always proofread it. Make sure that it is accurate. For the most part that I've seen, it's been quite accurate with that. But um, there's very few things where it's given some sort of long form text that I haven't had to um, change a few things and edit for, for um, accuracy. And that's worth pointing out, isn't it? Because um, although we've said it many, many times, it is fallible. It's, it's prone to error at times. Mm. And one of the interesting things that I've seen is that uh, it, it can make up sort of brand new positions on things. As you said, yeah. it can make up um, quotes. It can change plots to uh, very well-known stories. Yeah, you're doing the drover's wife at the moment, right? Yep, yep. So apparently, according to ChatGPT, um, the drover comes home at the end. Um, don't know where that came from. On top of that, there's an entire third act to the story <laughs> that I had never even read, and I really want to read it now. Yeah. But it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and this is this. the key part here is that... Um, there's the, oh, when it comes to data analysis, a, a mm. principle called GIGO, 
um, or GIGO. Stands, stands for garbage in, garbage out. Yep. Really, you might you might um, hear us really pumping up the tyres of ChatGPT. Oh, it's so good. It represents a significant lightening of the load for mm. teachers. And you might use it and you might go, well, this is actually pretty ordinary. I'm getting some pretty basic stuff out here. One of the central things with ChatGTP is, oh, I've, no, I've said it. I said ChatGTP. <laughs> I was trying to go the whole podcast without mincing that one. Anyway, one of the central things um, is that you get out what you put in. Yeah. If you're feeding it basic, banal prompts, it mm. will give you basic, banal answers. Yeah. And 90% of the skill and our discussion over the last few weeks has not necessarily been about what we've been getting out. It's been about what we've been putting in. Yes, it's what, what yeah, exactly. Well, because it's a language model, the those who are really good with language and understand English really well are probably going to get the be- most benefit out of it because you can ask it specific, more if you can be clear and specific with what you want, you can get clearly and specifically the things that you asked for. And that's re- and that's central, isn't it? Yeah, because- well, and with any AI model is what um, what we found. So I've I've also um, I've dabbled in Midjourney, uh, which is the AI uh, image generator thing. Sure. Um, I think I sounded so old just then describing it. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> we are old, man. It's fine. <laughs> um, but so I've I've dabbled in Midjourney, and what you find is um, in in any community that is messing around with AI prompts and AI generation, there is so much meta discussion on how to ask for something mm. because that is the, the key to the whole thing is that your input is everything with these models because your input is the instruction manual that it is operating from. So if, if you can be precise with your language, you will get better results. If you know how the model thinks, quote unquote, because again, it doesn't think, but the lines of code operate in a certain way. If you can understand how to give it input that it'll pay attention to, you'll get a better, you'll get a better result. And that's where my advice to teachers would be, have a play around with this thing. So don't necessarily do it when you're under the pump. No. Because you want time. You want time Mm. to know how to use it wisely because it's like any other tool. If you don't learn to use it, if you go, um, you know, I use the analogy all the time when it comes to planning with my students of sharpening Mm. the axe. But the same thing is true for training yourself on chat GPT. The sharpening the axe still bears out doesn't it you go well i don't really have time to sharpen this axe i just i gotta get this tree down yeah that's a and you don't want to do that you want to the the best way to get into this is to have a bit of time to kind of push it into the edges like i've i've spent a bit of time seeing how i've actually tried to get it to change its positions on sort of like i'll try having a discussion with it and ask it to present an argument Mm. and then i'll start poking holes in the argument and seeing how you can get it almost to reverse its position. Because it gives you an idea of what it looks for and how it reasons and then how it'll generate text around your prompts. And so that's the, the circumstances that allow you to think about that sort of thing and to think, oh, I wonder if this could actually do tables. Turns out it can. I wonder if it knows this partic- particular thing. It's, you need the time to be able to have those thoughts and test out those little experiments. One of the interesting things I've seen recently is that 
a person who's been able to get it to generate the source code for a PowerPoint. And then yes. you can sort of copy and paste the code and put that into the um, whatever the appropriate place in PowerPoint is. And it will load up your AI-generated PowerPoint. Wait, really? Because I know we talked about whether it could could do that. This is this is new to me. So I'm not actually... even. I, it might even be new to ChatGPT. I don't know, but I've seen wow. it done recently. Now it was wow. pretty rudimentary, and it didn't just spit out a PowerPoint. It spat out code, and you had to yeah. copy that into PowerPoint. But it, it did it. Yeah, it did it. And so that's something where the more you know, the more time you're able to invest up mm. front. Well, the better it will be. It's like walking into a, a tech workshop, like the wood mm. tech room at school. If you don't have any idea how to use it, but you just got to get onto it, you're going to turn out some pretty rudimentary stuff. Yeah. If you take a five-hour lesson from the tech teacher on how to use the various tools, you'll be able to create a masterpiece. Mm. Same is true for this. There's some, if you are able to look on YouTube, there's some great resources for teachers on there when it comes to resource creation. Yeah. Um, there's some not so good ones, so be discerning, chew the uh, meat and spit out the bones. But I, I highly recommend having a bit of a fiddle around with it. Jacob, it's been absolutely enlightening having you on the podcast again. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. And I wish you all of God's richest blessings in the year ahead. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for having me back on.